Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, we'll be talking about the metaverse. So what is this new concept of this metaverse? How will it change our lives? And how can we invest in this new area? So with me to discuss the metaverse, I have Robin Copernicus, who's building the Metaverse Land Club, which is a club specifically tailored for those who want to be involved in building and investing in the metaverse and i'll be discussing all aspects of the metaverse so without further ado let's welcome robin on the show this show is brought to you by leaden did you know that with leaden you can double your bitcoin instantly through a b2x loan yes the b2x service allows clients to access a loan in dollars of equal value to the bitcoin they have to buy more bitcoin in a single step Use this link to register start.leden.io slash Jean Galea and fund your savings account with at least 75 USDC or 150,000 Satoshis to receive a sign-up bonus of $10 in USDC. Terms and conditions apply. Now on with the interview with Robin. Hi Robin, welcome to Mastermind.fm. Great to have you here and looking forward to hearing more about the Metaverse and the Metaverse Land Club group that you have been creating. Hey Jen, I am super excited to be here. Um, thank you so much for having me on your show. And yeah, let's talk Metaverse. All right, so Metaverse can be very, very far out for most people. And in my opinion, it isn't something that um, strange or futuristic i think a lot of the things that we mean by metaverse are already happening now so i kind of want to get a feel from your end as someone who's involved day to day with the metaverse how do we define the metaverse and what's happening right now it's, i think that's a first place to start off yeah so th this whole concept of the metaverse it, it is a little weird but at the same time it's still a little comfortable because We've had a metaverse, at least some symbolically, um, in our lives for a long time. So my first experience in the metaverse was actually with this company called Gaia Online. Gaia is one of the, or used to be one of the world's largest forums. And I remember back in 2007, 2008, where I used to actually make music. I had an opportunity to um, work with Gaia to put some of my music into one of their games that they were building. And what they built was essentially a metaverse where people in the forums could pick an avatar, they can design their avatar, and then they would have this kind of virtual space to go meet and hang out. And I remember hanging out there, they had like a hot tub, they had all these different party rooms. And this was, you know, several years, if I'm counting, it was like what, 14, 15 years ago. So we've kind of already had this um, even back before, if you think about the AOL chat rooms, if you're old enough to, to have participated in the AOL chat rooms, it's this kind of like virtual world where you're meeting people, you're connecting with other souls. And this is something that, you know, humans have always wanted to do. And it's something that we've always been doing. Now what's been happening is that the technology is evolving so much, it can at least feel a lot more realistic. So if you look at emerging technologies like Elon Musk, Neuralink, you know, once you um, strap that on, once the technology is advanced enough, you can actually just experience the metaverse through this Neuralink without having to put on a headset, without having to put on virtual reality, 
and basically explore these different worlds and connect with other souls without having to, you know, use a laptop or a phone. It's just this kind of emerging way of being able to communicate with each other with these advanced technologies. I think really what set the term metaverse off or what kicked it off was Mark Zuckerberg's announcement of Meta, of changing the parent group of Facebook to Meta. This has been a little controversial, but now it's kind of like in the public sphere. People are actually talking about it. It's actually been something that's always here. I think Facebook is just kind of trying to put on a new skin to seem new again because they they seem like they're losing engagement, they're losing users. But yeah, this is something that's always kind of been around. And we were talking a little bit earlier on how your father is not present on this show um, because it the concept might actually be a little bit too advanced, but it's really not that advanced. And that's actually why we are building a club and it's called the Metaverse Land Club because for a lot of people that have trouble understanding NFTs or understanding video games, they still understand land. Land is a very concrete concept that we're familiar with. And when you can bridge that gap between the Metaverse and this land concept, I think it makes it more palatable for other people. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the Metaverse Land Club and not the NFT club. Cool. Uh, yeah, thank you for the very good introduction there. So as you are saying, I think it's been a long continuum, right? Starting from maybe sci-fi books like Snow Crash and others that were written earlier on imagining uh, the metaverse and what we could achieve. But also in terms of technology, I think like I grew up using IRC even before the MSN Messenger. Skype and all that, like even IRC for me or online chat rooms when the first web browsers came along. For me, that was already in my imagination, a metaverse. No, I was meeting people from different parts of the world, uh, engaging in discussions that I couldn't have in my real life. I, I come from an island, which is quite small and uh, the amount of diversity is not that big in terms of maybe discussions and interests of people. So I think it's not something that new. But we're seeing a huge advance in technology in the, in the last few years, as you mentioned. And not only from technology like the 3D aspect or augmented reality, but also NFTs and uh, the concept of land, for example, which is based uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's based on the same NFT technology, which makes it uh, non-fungible, which is very important for owning land, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the breakthrough technology that's actually making the metaverse possible, because before it was all on centralized servers, right? So for IRC, AOL, they had all the control. But now with crypto, with this blockchain technology, we can have digital ownership. And this is what's actually allowing us to own pieces of the metaverse. And yeah, this has been definitely a game changer for how we plan to move forward. So if you think about movies like Ready Player One, there was this very unique item that they had to get. I mean, that is an NFT. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's mention the different things that I've, I'd like to get into. Uh, how about we start platforms open versus closed? You mentioned like this is the big difference, right? But even in the metaverse, we spoke about Meta, which kind of is the the image of the closed Metaverse. And then we have another, on the other end of the spectrum, we have platforms like Decentraland, which are much more open, right? 
how do you view this this whole spectrum? Can everybody win or is it a battle where one of them will have to win out? I think it's still too early to tell. Right now, I mean, this is a nascent space. It's emerging and people are really experimenting. And we're trying different methods, different tools, different tokenomics, different ways of building communities. And we're still learning. I, I mean, there's just so much that's going on. If you just look at the recent NFT launches or the gaming launches, you can see some of the mistakes that they're doing. And it'll give opportunities for new people coming into the space to actually learn from those mistakes and build something better. Right? So if you think about the whole emergence of social networks, for example, before Facebook came along, I mean, there were there were some names that I can't even remember. There was like some Asian ones that before even MySpace came out. Um, there was Friendster. There was all these different things. So Facebook didn't actually even have first mover advantage. They almost, you know had last mover advantage. They got to study the space. They got to learn exactly how other people were doing it. And then they grew in a very different way and they actually won out. So in terms of where it's going to go, what's going to be the right way, it's still, I think, unsaid. It's, it's, it's still something that we need to look into. So if you look at Gala Games, for example, Gala Games is supposed to be this open metaverse where everyone has a vote it's supposed to be everything that's on the blockchain but at the same time is that really true because when you look at the founders notes for gala games so for people that are listening in the audience if you're not familiar with gala games it is a blockchain gaming company it is ran by the same um, founder of zynga so they're they're doing a lot of interesting things but with gala games in theory, it's a decentralized network. There are different nodes that have a vote. So it kind of operates as a DAO and they get to vote on the direction of the company. But is that really true? Because I think what a lot of people also suspect is that Gala themselves hold a lot of these nodes and as they should, because they should have somewhat of a control. When you're at the very early stages, when you're at the very beginning, you do need a captain of the ship to control where the direction is going. And so I, I think at the very beginning, it's really important to have maybe a closed experience and then slowly start opening it up. But as far as what is right, what is wrong, I think that's still to be seen. We might see some hybrid models come out. And then when we figure out a model that actually looks right, then we can start innovating on top of that. Very, very interesting. So for the listeners as well, just to paint a picture, what are the major sectors of metaverse today and within each sector the major players i would say yeah so if i had to name the major sectors of the metaverse it's it's really um several different disciplines kind of coming together so you can look at the future of money the future of work the future of play the future of gaming um even the future of art so we're seeing so many different emergences in each of these areas where let's take art for example bt who is this techno music trance music producer he created this new nft it's called the orbs and the way that he did it is he has to use computer code to create generative art and whenever you download his nft you're not streaming music you're not playing music from any kind of recorded area you're actually downloading a computer program and this computer program plays generative non-looping art that he created. So this is like one of the first things that's possible with NFTs, with the new technology that's coming out. So I, I see more of that happening. Now, when you look at the metaverse as a whole, all these things are going to come together, right? So if you look at the future of work and the future of gaming, why can't they both be the same thing? 
So if you're going to have a place of work and you actually gamify it with these parameters in the in the metaverse, that actually make it fun and engaging where it doesn't feel like work anymore. It feels like play. Um, I think you'll start seeing all of these start coming together. So actually, you got me thinking because I've heard this concept somewhere else as well, where the metaverse is not some new niche to be explored, but is actually an evolution that is as big as the internet itself. No, it's a, a new way of doing things, just like we got the introduction of the mobile phone and we got users switching from using their laptops or their PCs into spending most of their online experience on their phone. Do you see it as that kind of uh, big shift? Absolutely. I don't even see it as a big shift. It's just, you know, the natural revolution of another ICT tool, Internet Communications Technology, is just allowing us to communicate much more efficiently. So we can do commerce, we can hang out, we can play, we can do all these all these different things. Um, so this whole idea of the metaverse, I mean, it's kind of like something that's been building from the very beginning with cell phones with internet and now that the technology is just improving we're just finding much better ways for us to be able to engage with each other so what i've been observing is maybe older people but i mean even for me i've seen the shift between no internet and then internet between no mobile phones and mobile phones and there's always a bit of a resistance when these things happen especially with mobile phones lots of concerns so i see that's Kind of people are a bit resenting the fact that they have to learn yet another new thing and maybe they'll be left behind. And, and in addition to that, I'm seeing some hesitancy in like, will our life be worse by this introduction of this new technology? And I'd like you to spend some time on this, maybe to dispel these two concerns that I think they are legitimate concerns that a lot of people have. People like me who have young kids, we're also thinking about what world do we want to create for them, right, as well? And what world will they be living in? Is it something to look forward to or are we going back in a certain sense? Although the technology is advancing, is our lifestyle becoming worse? Yeah, so that's a great question. And if you look at other technologies, like it's social media, for example, um, social media has done a lot of good and a lot of bad. So both things can come out of it. And what's good and what's bad, I mean, at the end of the day, as long as the person that's using the tool, if they have the, the choice to decide how they want to engage with it, then I think, you know, it's fair game. It's, it's okay. So what I mean by that is social media, people argue that there's people spending way too much time on social media, not going outside and playing at all. Um, so that's one case and it's a valid case. But then on the other end, just like you were saying, Jen, um, when you were trying to communicate with other people, you were on a small island and you, you may have different interests than other people on that island. You want to connect with those people. And that's an enabling technology, right? So I remember when I was younger, I really liked creating nano reef tanks. So these are these little saltwater tanks and there wasn't that much information out there. And if you can find someone else on the internet that was also building something and share information, I mean, that's an enabling technology. That's something that's actually helping you with something you're creating in real life, right? So it really just depends on how you want to approach it. I think this backlash from a lot of older people is just really a lack of understanding where 
they're thinking, okay, we're going to strap this, you know, virtual reality headset on my face 24 seven. And that does sound, you know, unappealing. And for me, I actually don't think the metaverse is going to be a virtual reality headset. I think eventually it's going to be something that's more similar to Neuralink that will just, you know, um, put on our, our head and then brain or the frequencies will actually dictate um, our feelings and our perceptions and, and et cetera. It'll almost be like taking a drug and just kind of changing your mental perception. Well, I don't know if that will help taking a drug. <laughs> I don't know if that will help perception. <laughs> it, yeah, in, in terms of positive perceptions and things like that, I think what I meant by that is just um, the ease of use, right? So yeah. having to learn something new, having to go on the internet, at the very beginning stages of the internet, yeah, it was very difficult, right? You would have to connect to a modem. You would have to make sure that the phone line isn't disconnected. You would have to make sure that other people in your home didn't pick up the phone or else you would lose the internet connection. There was all these little technical aspects, but slowly over time, they made it really easy where you don't have to think about connecting. You don't have to think of, you're just always on. You don't have to think about all these other different things. So eventually we will get there. At the very beginning, yes, it's going to be you know difficult for some people, but I think at the same time, some of the things that are happening in the space is going to make it really easy for people to jump in. So blockchain gaming, for example, people that are playing in NFT games, they don't even realize that they might have to buy an NFT, purchase an NFT, or even how the whole blockchain thing works, but they're just getting in because they want to play a game. They want to connect with other people and who cares how it works, right? Same thing, we're, we're, we're having a conversation on Zoom right now. Really, the end game is what we're more interested in. Can we communicate with each other? Can we look at each other? Is the sound quality good and everything like that? We don't care where Zoom servers are or you know Zoom's algorithms to make sure that we're getting efficient connections and then it's not pixelated, et cetera. We just care about the end result. So eventually, people that are building in the space are going to make it much more easier. Another example that I just thought of, crypto. One of the biggest problems of crypto is actually being able to hold on to your money because if you forget your seed phrase, your your passphrases, or you lose it, etc., like it's it's very difficult. I'm pretty sure that anyone that's been in crypto, you've been in crypto since 2015, so I'm pretty sure you've lost some passphrases like we all have. I have an Android phone that I still carry around because I can't remember how to get in there, but I have passphrases in there and I'm just going to carry it around until I can figure out you know, how to hack into it. But in the future, I think what we'll have is we'll have wallets that are voice activated. So we don't have to remember a passcode anymore. We can just you know, use our voice. And then eventually... You know, other people will try to figure out how to crack that, how to copy your voice and things like that. So there'll be some kind of escalation, but we'll get to a point where it's going to be much easier where you don't have to think about it. Very interesting. And let's talk about inequality and how metaverse can help. I'm, I'm sure you're seeing this already because you've been traveling, living in different places. How has the metaverse helped or how will it help uh, give people equal amount of opportunities to to create wealth, to work together, to explore their creativity. I think this is one of the most beautiful things about Web3 and the metaverse. So when I think of Web3, I don't think of a technology. I actually think of community. And that's what makes Web3 Web3. It's all about the community aspect. And when you're launching an NFT or building a metaverse project, you're really trying to build a community around that and bring people into this community. So to 
like answer your question in terms of these opportunities, especially for people in the emerging world. I personally love buying art. So one of my favorite NFTs that I bought was from an artist in Thailand. His name is Lemon Nerd. And there's a lot of really good artists coming out of Thailand. I'm in Medellin, Colombia as well. And there is a lot of good art in, in Medellin, Colombia. And someone in Thailand where yeah, you've actually lived in Thailand, Jane, too. So, so you know, I mean, $300 a month, $400 a month. I mean, you can have a pretty decent life on the beach. It's not that expensive. And if you're coming from Thailand, if you're an artist and you're a really good artist, and now you can present your art to the world, especially a digital art, and it's kind of like new modality of art and be able to sell that. This, these are life-changing experiences for people. This is actually one of the things that we're building at the Metaverse Land Club. So the Metaverse Land Club, not only is it a community um, a, a think tank toolkit community, but we also have a launch pad where we are helping other Web3 developers essentially build for the metaverse. And one of the launch, launch pad projects that we're actually launching right now is called Slate. And Slate is a curate to earn metaverse where you will have your own NFT gallery. And in this NFT gallery, you could put your own art, you can curate other people's art. If you have a really popular gallery, you can rent out gallery space. Um, it'll be curated to earn. So you earn rewards for getting people into your gallery. If you sell any art or broker any deals, you can do that as well. But one of the cool things that I think will attract a lot of people to Slate are these curators like myself that's buying art from Thailand or, or Medellin to actually be able to take this artist and be, you know promote this artist. And if you can promote this artist, help them sell more art, broker these art deals, not only are you changing someone's life in Thailand, but it's also like a fun game. You also get to you know, show off your NFTs. You have this whole metaverse space where you, where you get to do this. So in terms of these opportunities that are coming out for other people in these emerging worlds, um, I, I think we're just going to see kind of this gold rush of creativity where people do have the chance to get noticed. Um, instead of an artist that's super talented going on 99 designs to make something for someone else, they can actually just make it for themselves and sell it to a collector as myself. Yeah, that's something I've seen in the NFT space for sure. There's so many opportunities and so many lives being changed. Yeah, especially especially with the play to earn aspect, right? The The emerging world is where they're getting the most benefit. So Again, Thailand, Vietnam, the Philippines, an income of around $500 a month is a decent wage. And you can actually make that money just by playing video games in a game like Axie Infinity. So now we see um, not only this metaverse, but there's things happening in real life to support this metaverse. You see these gaming guilds that are coming together. So for those that are not familiar with the gaming guild, a gaming guild is a group of players that will get together so they can win a game together. Um, if you look at Axie Infinity, for example, the the way you play Axie is you have to have at least three Axies. And before, when Axie Infinity first came out, you would have to buy three Axies that were pretty expensive. And this would be out of reach for someone that might be, you know, in, in the Philippines or Vietnam or, or Thailand. So you would have other people that would buy these assets as an investor, and then they would kind of pseudo rent these assets out to other people. So you might have a 20 year old kid in the Philippines. Um, they're trapped in home because of COVID. They have nothing else that they can do. Well, now they have an opportunity to join this guild. They can become a scholar 
and they can use someone else's gaming assets to help earn money in the metaverse for both that person and the investor. And there's like a profit sharing agreement. And this is really helping out um, people in emerging economies as well. And, and the play to earn boom, as far as the people that are actually playing to earn, I think will actually start coming from these areas more so than some of the more developed areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what was your personal journey that led you to the metaverse NFTs? You mentioned that you're an art collector as well. And so like, I'd love to know some context on how you came to this uh, place of metaverse and why you decided to create the metaverse land club that's a great question jen so there's like so many different ways to organize it let me actually start from the very um some people have to start from the beginning i'm just going to start from the end what i've learned in life it's not really about what you do but it's about who you do it with and this is what really excites me about Web3 is just about building these communities with people that are your friends, that you get to hang out with, um, et cetera. So in, in terms of this whole field, this whole field is saturated with early adopters. And I myself am an early adopter. You're obviously an early adopter. I'm just you know, having this conversation and being able to connect with these other people that are excited about the future, um, futurists, early adopters, et cetera. Like these are definitely my people. Not only are these my people, but my people are people who are builders. So the Metaverse Land Club is a launch pad for other projects. I have a coaching business where I advise other startups on how to launch their startup. Um, I, I wrote a book about my method called The Minimum Viable Mockup, and we actually start with the community first. So this was a philosophy that I've had for a while. And now with the whole emergence of Web3, I mean, it kind of just clicked for me. So it wasn't just Web3 where I actually started. So I'm going to start going backwards a little bit. My first crypto company, the first time I actually started building for crypto was around 2017, 2018. I had a company called CoinFeed and I made all the mistakes that a first-time founder makes because I was trying to grow my company the MBA way. And the MBA way... The focus is more on making investors happy. So you focus on pitch decks, you focus on you know hockey stick projections and all these things. You don't really focus on building. And when I first started CoinFeed, the main mistake that I made is I was actually more focused on product instead of building a community. So I, I built this awesome app. It, it worked great. It had a crypto dashboard and all these different things. And I eventually ran out of money before I could start monetizing it because I didn't focus on the community aspect. So with Slate, with Metaverse Land Club, I've actually been using my own philosophy from my book, Minimal Viable Mockup, where now we're actually starting to build with community. And not only do we grow this community, community, but we build in public with the community. So the community has a say into the roadmap of what we're building. So that was 2017, 2018, where I built CoinFeed. My first step into the um, crypto world or, or Bitcoin was around 2013, 2014. And I actually kind of accidentally accidentally got into this world. At the time I was doing my MBA program, there was one other student that was actually asking a question about Bitcoin. He's like, hey, I've been hearing all these things about Bitcoin. Does anyone know about it? And that made me want to go research it. And that was like the first seed that was planted. Then much later on, after I graduated, I had some friends. We actually wanted to try acid. I've never tried acid before at LSD. Um, and I, we didn't know how to get it. And we did a little bit of research. We learned that we can get it on the internet, um, but you had to buy some Bitcoin. And that was the first time I actually bought Bitcoin. 
Uh, so that was my first foray into Bitcoin. And then from Bitcoin, I think the next coin that I bought was, with, I don't even know if it's still around anymore, but it was a coin called Storage, S-T-O-R-J. Yeah. So that was like the very beginning. This was before uh, Coinbase even existed. And then after Coinbase came out, um, more things started happening. There was like a lot more coins. When I was building my company, CoinFeed, the one of the other reasons why I had to stop CoinFeed is because my philosophy towards crypto was sort of changing. So CoinFeed was a crypto market analysis dis, uh, dashboard for several different coins. But in 2017, 2018, when you saw all those different ICO booms, I instantly kind of became a Bitcoin maximalist. So I was a Bitcoin maximalist for a very long time. And being a Bitcoin maxi, the philosophy for that was antithetical to what I was building, which was coin feed. So that didn't kind of vibe with me either. Um, ICOs, I don't think are a good idea. But now when you have these NFTs come out, this is a total game changer where it actually makes sense not only for the founder, but also for the community. Because ICOs, the main problem with ICOs is when you're releasing a fungible token, it allows other players in the market, especially whales in the market, to start manipulating the market. And if they're manipulating the market, let's say they tank your coin, you lose liquidity, you can't fund your business and you can't move on. That's way too much power to give to other people. With NFT, you don't have that anymore. So NFT, it's more really community-based. Um, NFT sort of act as an access token. So even if it could be art, it's also an access token that invites you into this community that might provide access to other things. And it fixes a lot of the problems that you saw with ICOs. And when I saw NFTs get back or, or come back, I actually stepped out of the crypto space for a little while. So between 2019 and 2021, um, I would say like November, I kind of just stepped out. And then when I saw this whole NFT thing happening, and started analyzing it and saw how it was different from ICOs, I jumped back in. My, my first NFT was actually in 2017 with CryptoKitties. Um, it's a shame that it, I didn't get a chance to buy a punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the follow-up question for sure. <laughs> no, that's good. So, um, all right, yeah. So you went from Bitcoin to, you went out and then you went into NFT. So I guess you're not a Bitcoin maxi anymore. Or on the I'm, coin I'm, aspect, maybe. I'm still a Bitcoin maxi, but so with with NFTs, I do see this entire new world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily still hold on to Ethereum, at least um, Ethereum 1.0. So Ethereum 1.0 is proof of work. When it changed the proof of stake, I think maybe the dynamics could change, but I'm not sure. But um, I, I'm actually a commodities trader by trade. So when you look at commodities, commodities are mean reverting. And with Ethereum, for example, Ethereum, it's almost like a bridge currency. I wouldn't really call it a bridge currency, but essentially when people buy into Ethereum, let's say they're buying Ethereum, they want to buy into a different project. So they can either buy an ERC-20 coin or they can buy an NFT um, asset. And as soon as they buy that asset, the person selling those assets, well, they have to liquidate so they can fulfill on those services. And as soon as they liquidate, that's going to tank the price of ETH. So you have people that are buying the price of ETH, that's increasing the demand, which will increase the supply. And then as soon as you have that transaction, the people that are selling the NFT or the ERC-20, they're going to liquidate, which is going to dump the supply of Ethereum. So I'm still a Bitcoin maxi, but I do see the importance that Ethereum has for a world computer. 
Uh, and then I think we'll also see some other multi-chains that are coming up. And eventually it's all just going to be like one thing. But I do think that the confidence for this entire system still comes from Bitcoin. Isn't the fact, though, that uh, all these NFTs that are built on the ETH, Ethereum blockchain give it staying power because like everything's stored in the Ethereum token? In, in ERC-20 tokens, not ERC, sorry, the non-fungible, uh, what's it, the the specification I forgot. 721, yeah, 1155, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the unique assets are the 721 or ERC 721, and then you have like the pseudo fungible, which are the 1155. Um, so, so here's the thing, right? Let's say that I'm issuing a 721 token. So it's a unique asset. And let's say that this token provides access to a SaaS software that I, I might have. So if I sell the CGEN, let's say I sell it to you for one Ethereum, right? What you're going to do is you're going to, right now, the price of Ethereum is around 2,600. Um, you're going to take fiat, you're going to convert it into Ethereum. So you took $2,600, converted it into one Ethereum, and then you're going to buy this asset from me. So you give me one, one Ethereum and I give you a 721 token. But then for me to fulfill the services, I have to take that Ethereum and I have to trade it back into, into fiat or something that's at least usable because I'm going to spend it. And when I do that, I'm basically dumping the Ethereum back into the market. So the price of Ethereum should revert to, to the mean. I got the price section. I got the price section. But the fact that, uh, I mean, if you remove, if Ethereum kind of goes to zero, wouldn't that mean that the whole NFT space also goes to like disappears or moves to another chain? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think it'll go to zero. So, so when I say reverting to the mean, um, that doesn't mean that the, that the mean can't go on a, an increasing slope. But I think that slope is much more shallow than what people would realize. So you might have all these, these spikes, but that rising slope is a lot more shallow. It's, it's, it's not going to be parabolic. It's going to be a lot more shallow. That's an interesting take, at least compared to other Bitcoin maxis. I think it's a unique a unique view, at least from what I've seen, because you typically have the Bitcoin maxis, which abhor anything that's not Bitcoin, including NFTs, metaverse, etc. And then you have the maybe ETH or altcoin maxis, which are all in degenerate <laughs> type of, uh, of people who love all the stuff that we build in Web3 metaverse, but think Bitcoin is maybe too slow moving, too, too simple, too much for the, yeah. Yeah, if, if we're thinking about store of wealth, then I'm still a Bitcoin maxi. All right, and uh, so let's talk about investing now. Let's say, since we're talking about prices and stuff, if one were to invest in the metaverse, what should we be looking at? Should we be looking at land, items, NFTs, open versus closed worlds? Which type of platform? Gaming? There are so many things to look at. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So a lot of people, when they come into the Metaverse Land Club, they get a little confused because we don't only talk about land. We also talk about all these other virtual assets. So you do have all these other assets that are coming and these assets sort of intertwine with land. So I'll give you an example. If you look at My Pet Hooligan, for example, um, My Pet Hooligan in the AMAs, they've mentioned that the first launch of their, I believe there's 8,888 of them or maybe 10,000, but their first launch, whoever owns that Genesis token, 
will also get access to the first land sales should they create land. So having that asset is almost like having a key to one of the first land sales. So that's one thing. Um, when we're looking at investing into the metaverse, there's several different types of NFTs. So you have PFP NFTs, utility NFTs, um, and there's several different types of utility NFTs, such as membership or a, a SaaS product. It could be so many different things. The whole emergence of PFPs, I think it's very exciting when you first jump into NFTs. But eventually, once you own that one PFP, you're not going to really buy into any other PFPs. And most of the PFP projects fail. So for me personally, I don't like to invest into PFPs. Um, I like to invest into utility assets and especially utility assets that are tied to some kind of gaming. Because with gaming, it doesn't matter how the um, economy is going to go, right? If the economy does bad, people are going to play more games. If the economy does well, people are still going to play games. So I, I really like gaming assets. If I'm going to buy something, I try to look for the utility um, from that asset. I have a framework that I suggest everyone use when they're looking into buying an asset instead of just FOMOing. So when we're looking into money and in, in making money from, let's say, let's say NFT trading, right? There's several different ways you can approach this. You have your long-term investors. They really believe in a project. Maybe it's a gaming asset. They want to be early and they have the patience game. They can actually you know, wait the entire time. Then you have these flippers that are coming in. They want to go after projects that have a lot of hype and they'll even help hype the project up and they'll try to get a whitelist. They'll try to mint for a you know, very cheap price and then they'll flip it. Um, you have all these different actors that are kind of coming in. I think where most people lose when it comes to investing is when people FOMO. So when you FOMO, and FOMO, again, fear of missing out. When you FOMO, you make mistakes and those mistakes will make you lose. So some of the mistakes is you can get scammed. I've been scammed before where I've been I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we were too fast on clicking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Jen, like, uh, I think you're talking about one of those things where OpenSea, they'll show a, a listing for one, for example. Uh, that, that's common. I might have yeah. even been scammed and didn't realize, but mine was on Discord. So... I was trying to get a great deal early on in a project. It was on the Coolman's. And some guy posted a link with a rare item. When I saw it, I'm like, yeah, I need that now. I clicked, bought, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Transaction go through. Yay. And then I, okay, I didn't check. <laughs> and it was yeah. like a fake collection. Just got scammed of one eat. Yeah. I, I did something similar where I was looking at Gary V's chain. And I was looking at his OpenSea and I saw that it, it actually looked, and, and I'm, it, to me, it looked like Gary V was minting this, mm -hmm. but obviously it was yeah. a scam. It was someone yeah. else just, so it looked like Gary V was minting this flipped ape thing. And I went and looked and I started researching and I was like, oh, they're still minting. If Gary V's going to buy it, you know, even if it's like a scam or something like that, I think I can use the hype off of Gary V just to flip it. And then I went and bought it. And then as soon as I bought it, I um, tried to sell it on OpenSea and the contract didn't allow me to list it. And when I looked at the contract, like the floor for it was a, an absurd high amount. And the reason why the floor was an absurd high amount is because no one was allowed to list. So that was a complete scam. Um, I disconnected my wallet right away. And that was because of FOMO, right? So when you have FOMO, 
you start making these mistakes, you can get scammed. Or, or not only that, usually when there's a lot of hype around a project, that's usually when that's probably the worst time to buy, right? Because you're buying at the top and, and not at the bottom. So this framework that I was talking about earlier, instead of FOMOing, I use the steal framework. What I'm, what I'm talking about is steals, not deals, right? So we don't want just a deal. We don't want a good deal. We want a steal. And the way to get a steal is to make money off of other people's FOMO. So let me give you an example. If there's a particular collection that you're interested in, you might have seen these bots on OpenSea that will make bids at half the floor. Well, the reason they do that is because they're making money off of other people's FOMO. So people, they'll get shiny object syndrome. They will see some other NFT project that they think will make even more money and they will liquidate at a loss on another collection. So they might sell it for half the floor price just because they need that liquidity right away, right? This other person that's doing these liquidity bots, they're making money off of other people's FOMO. And this other person, who knows if they're making money or not. But what we know is that that first person, that was a guaranteed steal. They, they got into a deal with profit baked in, right? They got it at half the floor and now they can relist it. They might have to wait a little bit longer, maybe a day or two but they'll eventually be able to sell it um, for, for profit. So when we look at the steel framework, the steel framework goes like this. S is for story, T is for tokenomics, E is for engagement, A is for aesthetics, and L is for liquidity. And you want to be looking at each of these factors to make sure you're getting into a good project. So with S, that's the story. Story is, does the founder story make sense? Are they doxed? You know, is this something that they've been actually doing? Do they have a history of doing this or are they just trying to jump into something because they just want to they, they want to do a quick crash grab, right? Do they have experience? Do they have an experienced team? Is this something that they've done before? There, there, there's some metaverse projects that I've seen out there where, you know, I think they're phenomenal salespeople, the team, but they have zero experience with building anything. And because of that experience, like I'm very hesitant to um, invest. And I'm not going to say the name, but, but I'll actually use this as an example going through the steel framework. So the first one is story, right? Story, does the story of this project make sense? Do the founders have experience? Um, it, you know, is this something that they've been doing? After you look at the story, then you want to look at the tokenomics. The tokenomics, so there's this one metaverse project. I think they're trying to sell 100,000 plots of land. So is that even going to be possible? If you look at the number of registered wallets on OpenSea, for example, in December, it was only around 40 to 45,000 registered wallets. So to be able to sell 100,000 pieces of land, you have to sell to every single person in the market uh, and they have to buy at least like at least two, two, two to three, right? For you to sell out. So you want to look at the tokenomics. Um, not only do you want to look at the token number, but you also want to look at what the stated royalties are and all these different things depending on how you want to approach this project. If you're approaching it as a long-term investor or a flipper, these are important numbers that you would have to know. So you look at the tokenomics, um, you know, what is the probability it's going to sell out? What is the probability that it's going to hold its value? And the, the number of tokens that are out there will actually help dictate that. Then the next one is engagement. So does this actually have a community, right? Because Web3 is all about community. If you don't have a community, you don't have a project. So when I'm looking at engagement, there's several different ways to fake engagement. People will have fake Twitter followers, there's Twitter bots, there's Discord bots, there's all these different things. So one thing that I, I, I like to look at is I would like to look at their Discord 
I look at how much, um, how many announcements do they have? So do they have frequent announcements? And then what is the engagement on the announcements, right? Is it growing or is it following? And then what is that engagement in proportion to the number of people that are in that discord? So if there's 30,000 people in the discord, but only 30 likes on the recent announcement, then you know it's a very low engaged discord. But if there's 300 people in the discord and 30 likes, then you know it's, it's, it's a high engaged discord, right? So the number of people that are in the discord itself does not matter, but you want to look at the engagement. Then after engagement, you want to look at the aesthetics. Aesthetics does matter. The art does matter. So does the founders, does the founding team, do they have an eye for aesthetics? How are they actually unrolling their launch right now? Does this aesthetics vibe with you? Because if it doesn't vibe with you, you're probably not going to like the people that are in the project. Me personally, I don't like, I, I, I don't really like voxelized designs. So something like Pixelmon, for example, to me, I, I think it's ugly. So I, yeah, I, so, so I never really bought into it. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the sandbox, they're, they're kind of doing it a little cool. I, I'm still not a huge fan, but what the sandbox is doing, it's their own style. I think copying that style would be a mistake. They seem to be building like a, you know, a, a fun game. But you, you do want to look at the aesthetics. So the aesthetics, even if it's a membership NFT, a lot of people with membership NFTs, they'll go to Fiverr, they'll hire an artist to do kind of like a, a credit card looking thing that's like really shiny. But is that something that you really want to hang on your NFT locker? So even those details matter a lot. You want to look at the aesthetics. The aesthetics is a proxy for how much the founder actually cares about his or her project and whether they have an eye to take this project to the next step. So then after aesthetics, you want to look at liquidity. Liquidity is very important because you don't want to buy into an asset if there's no other buyers on the other side. If you need to get out of that asset, you, you, you need to make sure that there's a liquid market. So what I mean by liquidity is if you look at OpenSea and look at the activity, how many sales are there per day? If there's only one sale per day or one sale every three or four days, you're going to have a very difficult time selling that asset. But if there's a sale every five minutes, then you know it's going to be very easy because you have a very liquid market. Then you also want to track liquidity over time because as the volume starts dropping, as liquidity is dropping, um, if that's not an asset that you want to hold, you might be the one holding the bag for that. So if you look at HAPE, for example, HAPE, they, when they launched, it was like a seven Ethereum floor. And now it's it's less than one. It's less than two. So I think it's like 1.4 or something like that. And if you're trying to sell it, hey, there's not that much liquidity in that market. So it's going to be a lot more difficult as well as this volume dries up. So again, to recap, this is the steel framework. We want steals, not deals. We're not looking for a good deal. We want a steal. Again, a steal is when you get into a transaction with profit baked in. And the whole idea from the steals, not deals framework is actually from real estate from in real life real estate because if you look at the um let, let's take a look at the we buy ugly houses buyers so you might have seen those signs everywhere especially if you're in the states i'm not sure if they have it in barcelona or not but in the states there's these billboards and signs everywhere we buy ugly houses and what they're looking for is they're looking for distressed sellers who need liquidity they need money and they're willing to sell a house you know 50 cents on the dollar because they need that money right away so if you apply those same principles where you're getting into a transaction with profit baked in, you're getting a steal. So you don't want just a good deal. You want a steal where you have profit on the, the moment that you actually transact. I love that. Yeah, I've been talking or more so writing about strategies and how to evaluate projects 
quite a bit and speaking to other collectors, but you packaged it very nicely and that steel concept. Thank you. Appreciate it. Apart from investing, what are the other ways that people can get involved? Maybe they don't have a lot of money to invest. How do we get involved in the metaverse? Yeah, so I think this is a common question I see too. Like, how do I get in, involved in the metaverse? And this question itself is is a little odd to me because it's like when the internet first came out, it's like, how do I get involved with the internet? And I think it's a, it's a misdirected question because that question is kind of asked by someone who's more of an opportunist mentality. They see this emerging opportunity and, and they want to be able to, you know, basically take advantage of that opportunity, but they're not really looking to build or they're not really looking to enrich themselves in other ways other than just being an opportunity. So when I say enrich themselves, I'm talking about going you know, more towards happiness. So if you're asking the question, how do I participate in the metaverse? I think that's the wrong question to ask. You should think, I think about... Just oh, sorry, go ahead, my different wanna... perspective, because I've seen this. I think it's not only that, I mean, I'm sure there are the opportunists and then I see it being asked by people who have maybe heard of it from a magazine, an article by a close friend of theirs. So they turn up on maybe one of these discords and are, they're eager to participate. Of course, in every in everything in life, the best way to, to start off is just to go in, play around, get to know, read, get to know how things work. You don't have to spend money in most most endeavors, I guess. So it's true that it's a bit of a like a funny question, but I don't think it's just asked by opportunists. It's just maybe we need to reframe the mentality of these people in terms of like just go in, explore, have fun. Same with NFTs. No, you don't need to panic and FOMO into the hype. Just buy a cheap one appreciate the art, learn about the different kinds of tokens, utility versus PFP. And in no time, you'll become kind of top 20% if you keep reading and stuff. To answer your question, if if people are looking to participate in the metaverse because you know they just want to be part of this community, this this world, then what I would say to that person is actually don't look at the metaverse, but look at communities you actually want to join communities you want to hang out with. There's been times where I've actually purchased an NFT and I've joined the Discord and I didn't like the people in the Discord. So I sold the NFT because I didn't want to be in the community. There's so many different projects going on, so many things to learn, um, so many different angles. Not one person can become an expert at all in any of these things. So what I would say is find your people, the people that you want to hang out with, and really what interests you. Because if you're if you're coming at it again with this opportunist mentality, you're going to get bored and you're eventually going to leave. But if you go into it with the mentality that you want to find a community where you can hang out with people that you enjoy hanging out with, talking to, et cetera, then I think that's the best way to participate. I, I for example, particularly like, um, besides our own Discord, but I also hang out in the BT Discord. And, and again, BT, he created the Orbs NFT. And the reason why I like his Discord is not only the art, but BT is a futurist. And this art that he created, it created a community of people that have the same values. We're all futurists. We enjoy art. We enjoy crypto. We enjoy emerging technologies. We're all early adopters. And I like hanging out with these people. So I'm in the Discord. And I think if I sold my orb, for example, I would lose that community aspect. And that would make me feel sad. So if you're looking to jump into the metaverse, really find out what's right for you. Find out who your people are. 
and how you want to participate. There's a metaverse for stoners. There's a metaverse for athletes. There's a metaverse for um, investor entrepreneurs. There's a metaverse for gamers. So it's just really about finding your community. Okay, and I think now it's a good time to talk about the metaverse land club in, in a bit more depth because it's clear that you bring in a lot of passion, knowledge, and you're the type of person who likes sharing and discussing with others. So to me now it makes a lot of sense of why you decided to create the Metaverse Land Club. So what are you building in actual like right now when people join the Discord what will they find? And keep in mind that some people might not know how Discord works and like let's start from the basics. What will they find? How things are organized and what's the end game here? Great question. So I think it's important to discuss a little bit of history of been what's going on in in the discords and in the NFT community. So right now, what's been happening, at least when we had the bull market, um, if you were able to get a whitelist, and a whitelist means you're on an allow list to be able to mint this NFT during a pre-sale, right? So if you were able to do it, and this project has a lot of hype, there's a lot of people that will want to buy it but they didn't have the opportunity to be on the allow list they will be willing to pay two three four times more than what you're paying for it so nfc project owners they've actually been taking advantage of this and what they've been doing is they've created this whole system of this whitelist grind where people that you know might not be the more higher ticket collectors but it's people that are just coming into the space they they're trying to grow their you know um their, their ethereum stack um they're essentially just trying to get whitelist and they're trying to flip it to someone else so there's this entire whitelist grind that happens someone will a project owner will open up a brand new discord they might give some og roles some original gangster roles to some people which will give some privileges and benefits and then there's all these different things that they do for a whitelist grind typically whitelist grinds have to do with inviting more people into the discord and this is the way that it's, that it's been going but what i've seen with this method is it brings in a lot of shallow people and it doesn't really bring a strong community. So these project owners, they might have a very successful launch, especially, you know, during the, the when NFTs were bullish. I think right now that probably won't work. At Metaverse Land Club, we've actually been doing it a lot differently. We started during the bull run, but I didn't want to do a whitelist grind. I didn't want to do an invite contest. Um, so we didn't do any of that. We actually kept our Discord closed. So what a closed Discord means is there's things you have to do to be able to actually jump into the Discord. So the very first thing, everyone that's been in the Discord, they're all email verified. Our first first thousand members are email verified. We don't have a whitelist grind. We do have an OG grind, but it's not an OG grind where they have to promote or hype the project to other people. The OG grind is more, you know, what are you doing to be known in the community to, to actually hang out and be friends? So to become an OG, you have to win a series of games. So we have these games um, that are happening and then OGs get benefits. For example, they might get double or triple entries into raffles we do and all these different things. So we've been doing it a lot more differently. We've been doing a very slow growth approach. And I think I'm very happy with the approach because whenever I go onto the Discord, I see names that I recognize. Um, I, I truly feel we'll, we're building a real community. So our Discord has been open for two months um, so far. And the, the people in there are great. Like I, I love engaging with the people in there. 
And I'm so happy that we didn't flood it, you know, with 30,000 people that I wouldn't know that would actually just leave the, the next day. So when people join our Discord, what they won't expect is a whitelist grind or is, is any of this fake hype or any kind of FOMO. What they can expect is a great community. And the community that we're building, we're actually building a community around our shit or personally my shared values and my company shared values. So our shared values are brutal honesty, team is family, build things in play, um, freedom to be yourself without any judgment, masterful execution, and diamond hands conviction. And we're looking for other people that share in these values to join our community as well. So we have a really strong, tight-knit community, and we're all growing together. And one of the reasons that community, again, is so important is because I mentioned it before, There's, it's impossible to be an expert in the space just by yourself. And having these other community members that are specializing in different things, for example, we have a community member, his name is Steve P., and he trades a lot on the Phantom Chain. I know nothing about the Phantom Chain. But CP, he's kind of he's sort of our spy, our resident spy for the Phantom Chain. So if anyone has any questions about Phantom, they can ask Steve. And this is what I hope to build um, for the Metaverse Land Club. It's an actual club. And one of the things that we're emulating are some of the real estate investment clubs that you might see in real life. So there's one in Houston, for example, it's called the Rich Club, the Real Estate Investment Club of Houston. And it's all these investor entrepreneurs that will get together, they'll talk new strategies, they'll talk shop, um, especially when you're doing business and you're an entrepreneur. The, the, the way that you sell as an entrepreneur is you have to get yourself in front of as many people as possible and especially the right people. So building this club of builders and investor entrepreneurs is something that I think will help not only um, adopt, help the adoption of the matters, but also help people be able to make decisions in a, a right way with people that they actually trust, people that they know, people that they're growing with. Very interesting, yeah. Um, I totally agree. I, I really hate the whitelist grinds, but I just skip them nowadays because I don't really have time. But it's been quite an annoyance. And one thing I wanted to ask you while you were mentioning, talking about the framework, you mentioned about like the ratios between number of uh, people in the Discord and their engagement. And it got me thinking about whether you're using any tools to for that or is it just a manual thing? Right now, um, we actually have an analyst on our team that's uh, going through all the different discords and we have our own metric that we call our, our uh, DE, our discord engagement ratio. And they're essentially just collecting the numbers for the discord and then seeing what the last 10 announcements, what the reactions were. And we're averaging that to come up with this ratio so we can figure out just exactly how much engagement there is. With the Metaverse Land Club, we actually plan on building a lot more reports and tools that will help our investor entrepreneurs in our community with these kind of things. Um, so, so this is kind of like also more of what you can expect. If people, people that have read the white paper, I've already done some kind of tools and analysis that I've actually built for myself. So this is, again, this is a toolkit community where I have the developers that can actually make these things. So the people that are holding the NFT, they get to vote on the roadmap of what we build. So if someone has a, has a, a question, you know, um, maybe they have a theory. So, so for example, like right now, I have a theory that the evaluation for the sandbox won't be the location of your sandbox plot won't be as important as people think it could be. 
So you have a lot of people paying a lot of money to live next to Snoop Dogg. But at the same time, I mean, you can teleport to any of these plots on the sandbox. So what I personally think is that a memorable, like a human memorable grid coordinate is going to be much more important. So if I can tell people, yeah, come come visit my sandbox plot at 6969, that's easy to remember. People are going to, you know, that would have way more value than being next to Snoop Dogg, which where is, the, where, where is that, right? No one even knows. Um, so to be able to know if this is legit, we're actually scraping all this information. We're seeing, you know, we're, we're calculating whether there's already a premium for these memorable plots. And as over time, as we start monitoring this premium, if there's any kind of opportunity where one of these, you know, premium plots are selling for much under, we can alert our community members to this. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I, as I've been doing this deep dive into the metaverse, I've been looking at tools. And to me, as primarily maybe a PFP investor or utility-based, the, the land concept was kind of hard to judge. First, we're early, you know, we're, as you're saying, we don't know what will be valuable or not. But it's very hard for me to judge as an investor which land to buy and even to visualize because you're not really seeing anything. It's just coordinates, basically, and the size. So I think nobody has done yet a platform that gives you this context for what you're buying. So that's a big need right there. Yes, the way I'm actually creating these tools. So I, I, I do come from an institutional trading background and I've had several different roles. So I used to be a commodity trader. Before that, I was a data analyst on the trade floor, a data scientist. Um, so we would create um, forecast models to see exactly power consumption is, is moving, et cetera. So all these different things. Before that, I was also a spy for oil traders. Um, and when I say spy, it's, it's not like I'm breaking into offices or anything like that. Most spies, are actually just analysts. So we're, we're looking at data, we're trying to you know, uncover insights that other people may have not seen. Um, so I'm taking a lot of those principles and, and those systems that I've learned kind of over time to help build the Metaverse Land Club and all these tools. And again, the Metaverse Land Club is not just a toolkit community, but it's also a launch pad for other people that are building for the Metaverse. And the Slate project that I mentioned, I think that's going to be our first project launch. And I'm like super excited about that. And, and that's essentially buying land, buying gallery space is, is like buying land. To go back to your earlier point in terms of it's really early to know what's going to last and what's not going to last. So I think when it comes to early things, you have to approach it the same way venture capitalists approach it. When they invest into startups, they're not investing into the, the project itself. They're investing into the team. You know, can this team do what they say that they're going to do? I love your concept because... I can see that in a way it is similar to what I think you have to have the fundamentals, a critical way of looking at things. And then when you add the data on top of it and given the blockchain is open, that's really powerful. And usually I, I see people missing out on either both sides or just going into the hype basically. You're not looking at the data, you're not looking at the fundamentals. And so I see a lot of opportunity for people who are working hard to get both of these things together. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, so when it comes to NFT trading, that's kind of like one of the skill sets that's really important. Um, we're, we're all degenerates in this space. It's no secret. But, but as, yeah, as a degen, I think that patience game is really important. So if you look at the way poker players approach it, 
poker players, I mean, they're being very patient. They're waiting for the right hand, the right opportunity, and then they strike, right? So it's, it's really just that waiting game and making sure you're not FOMOing into anything. You're actually making calculated decisions so you can keep playing the game and, and keep making money. It's funny because DGen gives you this image of something, someone crazy or reckless, you know, but the biggest DGen moves are usually, the ones I've seen are usually very, very calculated moves by very experienced and methodical uh, traders or collectors. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So uh, even, even the best professional poker players, they also tilt. They're still DGens at heart. Right. So they also tilt. So the same thing happens to NFT traders. So it's really just, yeah, just knowing um, that you can tilt. Whenever I make a trade, I always repeat this man mantra in my head. I always say, steals, not deals, steals, not deals, steals, not deals. That way I'm not going into something that I'm like, oh, maybe I'll make money from that. I'm going into something where I know I'll make money from that. So I just keep on repeating that. And even then, I mean, it's still a struggle. Yeah, it's like you see these people buying 150 tokens, you know, and like, wow, what a D-Gen move, you know? Yeah, but this guy knows exactly when he's going to exit, knows at what price point he's buying. He knows he's going to make money for sure. And you're buying one or two just because you saw the influence speaking about it and you're likely to lose money, you know? So who's making the most D-Gen move, you know? Yeah, I, <laughs> I love that example that you were giving. And that's so important for you to write down your strategy and for you to stick with it. Or if you don't stick with it, at least you have it written down and you can also write down why you plan on changing it. And again, professional poker players do this. They're not just going into the casino and just gambling. They study the game, right? They, if they're playing against a player and this player has this other player that they're playing against, if they have videotapes, this poker player will study those videotapes. They'll write everything down. They'll, you know, figure out where this other player makes mistakes, what their behavior is and all, all these things. Like it's very important. Yeah. Same. And like in sports, no, nowadays, everything is measured. It's no longer like in the old days where you just play soccer or basketball. And you're a good player and that's it. <laughs> yeah, now it's all about the three-pointers from mid-court. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're nearing the end of our time, so that was really interesting. What's coming next for the Metaverse Land Club? Uh, if you can share, and uh, you have this Dara token, what, what's going to happen? And uh, yeah, if you can share anything of that. Sure, so I think the Metaverse Land Club what most people probably don't realize that are in the Discord is that it's much bigger in concept in my head that I'm actually sharing. One of the things that we're doing is it's not just the Metaverse Land Club. So part of the Metaverse Land Club is to help investor entrepreneurs with a think tank and all these toolkits. But I also have a Web3 production house, Full Stack Web3. And this actually helps me get a lot of information from the market that other people might not have. Because with this production house, I have other people approaching me with their projects. And then just the people that I work with, just having that network, for example, our, our creative director is also the same creative director for Handshake Domains. And just having that inside information is you know, information that could help benefit our members. So it's, it's not just Metaverse Land Club, but it's also this Full Stack 3 production house. And then we also have this launch pad where we're helping other 
entrepreneurs, investor entrepreneurs, be able to build their own metaverse project. And we're supporting them with full stack web three. And then within the launch pad, really excited about Slate. Um, again, Slate is this curate to earn project that we have out right now. We're actually already whitelisting for it. And we already have a prototype. If you actually go look on the MLC NFT Twitter, um, you can see the prototype. And I'm super excited about this prototype because it's a media rich prototype that even on cyber and some of these other metaverse galleries that have out, um, they don't have the capabilities that ours have because theirs just show an image or a video. And ours are much more media rich. You can actually show computer programs. You can show the BT orbs, for example. Um, so on our Twitter, I actually show the orbs. And we plan on building more things like this. This gallery NFT space, this, this late project, I'm really excited about that because the, the artists that I'm actually collecting in Colombia, they're like really, really talented. So you have talented artists from graffiti artists to 3D environment artists. And we're, we're essentially just built, you know, putting this collective of artists together. So it's not just going to be the Metaverse Land Club and Full Stack Web 3, but we're also building an art collective where I plan on helping promoting these other artists in Colombia through Slate. And it'll kind of like be, be something where it has synergy across all these different things. Super interesting. Like the last question I like to ask to people who are DJs like us, how do you keep things balanced in life? Because you seem to be doing so many things. How do we keep things balanced? I think for everyone doing Web3, it can be so immersive, so exciting, so time consuming. Everything's time sensitive. How do you personally keep some balance in your life? Yeah, so... I think systems and processes are very important. When you talk about keeping things balanced, there's actually a lot of personal things that I do. And I think it'll step away from the whole Web3 conversation. For me to be able to work efficiently and as effectively as I can, one of the things that I do is I batch process everything. So if I'm doing podcasts or if I'm doing Zoom interviews, for example, every Thursday, I will do just that. That way I'm not switching. I'm not task switching uh, because every time you do task switching, I think you lose like 23 minutes of time to reorient yourself to the new task. So I will batch process everything. Um, and then the way that I actually run my company, I, I read a lot of books. One of the books that was most helpful was a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And he has this concept of running a company where you have a visionary and an integrator. So me, I'm a very messy person. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a visionary in terms of being able to see something and being able to put people together to be able to build that. The minor details is something that I actually don't want to bother with. I can do it, but I don't want to bother it, bother with it because it takes away from growing and, and building. So you have a visionary role and you have an integrated role. So I have a fantastic integrator in my company. Her name is Anna. And the way that we work, the visionary focuses on the outside of the company and the integrator focuses on the inside of the company. So Anna is the reason why everything works. She keeps the trains running on time. Um, she's in charge for the operations and making sure people get paid, making sure people are happy while I'm in charge of growth, of culture, of voice, and actually of leading the vision, setting the vision, and getting other people to join in on the vision. So I think those two things have really helped to build systems and processes where we can actually manage things. Just the whole visionary integrated concept from Gino Wickman from the book Traction. And then also just this concept of batch processing. There's, there's actually a book called Atomic Habits that's really good that will help teach you about 
avoiding distractions and, and keeping focus. And then also my book as well, Minimum Viable Mockup. I, I should probably <laughs> shout that out. It's a, it's, if you're building a startup, that book will, you know, it'll hold your hand from start to finish. There's no fluff. It's just like a real, I'm really proud of that book. Yeah, I've been taking note of things as we were speaking. So I'll make sure to put everything in the show notes. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's been lovely speaking with you. Uh, we, I guess everybody learned a lot, those who are listening and myself too. So thank you for, for joining us. And where can people join the Metaverse Land Club and where can people follow you? John, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was really fun connecting with you. For Metaverse Land Club, if you just go to metaverselandclub.com, it'll take you to our website where there's an opt-in page. And when you opt in, you can, um, you'll sign up for our newsletter. And then also it'll give you a link to our Discord. Our Discord is still semi-closed at the moment, but if you also follow us on Twitter at MLCNFT, we, you know, I would definitely turn notifications on because we have whitelist opportunities on the Twitter, and then we will also provide Discord links. And then myself, I am fully docs. So um, my name is Robin Copernicus on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. And I should actually add Robin Copernicus. That's it's sort of a pen name. So my legal name is Robin Kabir, and that's K A B I R. And then I took the word Kabir and kind of. Um, turn it into Kabirnikus, Copernicus. And the reason why I did that is because Robert Copernicus just sounds so much more smooth to me and it just fits my identity more. And that's what the metaverse is about, right? Just finding your identity and being able to express yourself the way you want to express yourself. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Robin. I can see that Robin is very passionate about what he's building at the Metaverse Land Club. And I'm also very passionate about what the Metaverse will mean for all of us. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can also contact me podcast at mastermind.fm with your suggestions or maybe people you'd like me to interview. And you can also reach out to me at Jean Galea on Twitter. See you in the next episode.